Hey, what's up, everybody? This is John Petrucci. You're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to that which we like to call Focus on Metal. And hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode. If you haven't checked that out, then you really want to check out the last two weeks' worth of episodes where we're talking with legendary producer and engineer Ron Nevison. But this week, as promised, we will be talking with James Labrie of Dream Theater, and uh, we'll be digging into their brand new album. Yeah, we're a little late to the party on this one because it was released back at the end of October. But their new album is called A View from the Top of the World. There's been a lot of great reviews about this one out there. And uh, I do have to say one thing, that looking at the cover art by Hugh Syme, I don't know, am I pronouncing that right? I think I am. I'm going with it. Hugh Syme. My first impression was, holy crap, I feel like I am looking at Rush's Farewell to Kings. It's just got that whole vibe. Maybe it's the colorations as well with the blues and the blacks. But uh, I always liked his artwork, and it's really cool on this one. And in this age of vinyl coming back, you can see it in a nice 12 by 12 format as well, instead of just the old 4.5 by 4.5. So the same gang on this one as their last album, with one extra twist that although John Petrucci is once again handling production duties, they handed mixing and mastering off to Andy Sneap. So, uh... I think a very nice move there. I'm always a big fan of Andy's work. So nice to see the Dream Theater camp is mixing it up at least a little bit album to album. So as I said, uh, this week we're talking to vocalist James Labrie, who uh, did quite a bit of work on this album, as you'll find out in the interview. And I will say that uh, I know Richie's kind of bummed about this because Dream Theater is definitely one of his favorite bands. But the audio on this one is uh, a little bit dicey in some of the points, especially towards the beginning of it. Uh, this time, I can definitely say it isn't on Richie's end at all. So something with uh, on James's end where some of it's kind of garbled or low, and I did a lot of work trying to make sure that I could bring this up to some type of snuff where we could air it. And there are some points where, yeah, you may not be able to understand what he's saying at all. I apologize for that right up front, but... Overall, you know, lots of good stuff from James in the interview. And, you know, that is part of the the world we live in with a lot of artists doing stuff over like Skype and stuff, but then also cell phone connections. So I did try all the Andy Sneap tricks that I could to uh, bring this up to uh, a decent level. And in a good chunk of it, I was able to succeed. But uh, yeah, the beginning of it, yeah, just bear with it. It does get better as the interview progresses. And if you want some kind of try-it-before-you-buy-it taste, you can also head up to YouTube. They did release three singles so far from the album. I think the last one came out on, like, October 25th. So that's uh, pretty crazy that a band like this has actually released three singles already in such a short span of time from the release. But they have, so you can go up and uh, check those out. But in the meantime, let's get down to Richie's chat with James Labrie of Dream Theater. Hey, James. I'm good. So where are you? I'm in Canada. I'm at uh, home run at Toronto. Okay. Yeah. I'm just at, yeah. I'm just outside of Boston. Oh, okay. Um, originally from Ireland. Oh, are you? Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, a lot of the musicians I'll ask, you know, did you ever play it in Ireland? But I can say that you have because I saw you there with Dream Theater. Oh, uh, did you really? Back in 2002? Yeah, in Vicker Street, yeah. Oh, my God, man. I was there. You know, <laughs> we're, suppo- we're supposed to start our, uh, our European tour there. Oh, okay. In April. Yeah, was, uh, I think it's actually our first show. I, I'm not sure. Don't quote me. I, I think it is Belfast. I, th- I think so. Okay. I don't know. Okay. But I, but I did get winged that like, about a week ago that uh, they were sitting down for a show with the in Ireland, which is, I'm like, really? I think it's well overdue. We're looking at almost 20 years, which is ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, well, because I'm, I'm part Irish. I don't know if you know that. So no. On my dad's side, my, so my paternal grandmother, uh, she comes from the Fitzgeralds and the McCarthy's. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, anyways. Yeah, so I, I bought the CD last week on Amazon, right? And when I bought it, it said you were the number one bestseller in blues rock, right? I, I, I know the band's blues music. Rock. Yeah, blues rock. Like I know the band's music has been called a lot of things, but I'm guessing blues rock is not something you've heard. Oh my god! You know what's funny about that, Richie, is that that uh, our keyboard player George, we call him when we're on the road because every so often he'll go into this alter eagle, and we call him the blues man, and he can go into singing the blues like you would never imagine. And at, right off the top of the head, he can make like rhymes up. You know, these lines like, you know, the classic trick and blues lines. Like, I saw you murmur the other day. And, you know, and he'll just keep going. And it's hard. he has the whole band of stitches. So, well, maybe there's something in there for us. Maybe we can do the blues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. Yeah. But, yeah that's funny. I, we have never been thrown into that category. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so You only top that off like you're all country, man. Yeah. So if I had said to you around the time of images and words that you'd still be new, doing new Dream Theater music 30 years later, would you call me crazy? I don't know. I might have been, you know, uh, I don't know. I might have been naive enough to, to believe that we're going to be, you know, we're, we're going to stand the test of time. You know, I, I, I don't know. Like to me, when anybody says that to me, like, okay, so you guys been doing this for thirty years plus. That to me, when I hear that, it, it's it's very hard to internalize because it, it doesn't feel like thirty years has gone by. But then when it, you know, it is staring you in the face. It is hard to believe that we've been doing this this long, and we've been very fortunate to be as successful as we've been. Mm. You know? Yeah. So I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe I would have said, you know, way back. You know, if we get ten or fifteen years, that'd be awesome. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure. Yeah, I could see us doing it because of the kind of band we are. We're like so, you know, we're so different, and um, you know, these kind of stand out. You know, stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Is is there any particular album you did with the band where you knew after doing it that the band would be around for the long haul and you'd be a part of it? Um, well, I think, you know, let's put it this way. I think that if Holy Under hadn't gone through the roof and it became a, you know, a big hit around the world, I think, um, because, you know, to be quite honest with you, before that happened, the album had only sold something like this. I think we were being told like 10,000 copies or something like that. As soon as Pull Me Under became the hit that it was, 
on MTV and on radio, national radio throughout the States, many other parts of the world, then it, it flew through the roof. Like it just went, you know, we sold a couple million albums. But that, if that hadn't happened, I'm not sure how things would have been set up for a second album and if it would have given us the legs and the momentum to, you know, be uh, something that was to a certain degree a global. And it, it gave us that, that, you know, that tier to stand on that enabled us to, to continue growing and that people were actually waiting with anticipation for the next album, like Awake, and then every other sub- subsequent album after that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know what, we might not be speaking today if it had been for that, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, that serendipity, you know, as far as uh, a song that we had never thought would be a hit because we didn't write songs to be hits. It pulled me under just became that. And uh, which was funny because when we hit an album like uh, Falling Into Infinity, that's when we started getting into it. And it was like, let's go to, you got to write another hit. You know, and we're like, we're not a hit then. You can't look at a a song like Pull Me Under and say that, well, that's what you guys got to do on every album. You got to have at least one hit. No, the Dream Theater's never been that. It's it's been about what makes sense for that album and who and what we are at that particular moment in time, and what we're influenced, you know, with as far as what we want to write, what we want to create. Yeah, and so it it was just uh, it was a an extremely uh, fortunate situation for us from having it like that because I I think it really did it put us onto a level that enabled us to be who and what we've been for the last 30 years. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. No doubt about it. Now, James, you wrote lyrics for the first two songs on the new album, The Alien and Answering the Call. Um, I, I, this fascinates me. How has it decided who writes the lyrics for each song? Um, in a lot of ways, we just say, hey, you know, I want to write that, that song's lyric. But, so that's a lot of it. Um, so, and then we just take it from there. So, with this, for instance, this album, I said, okay, there's two songs that I really want to write the lyrics to. And that was the song that I wrote the lyrics to. And then Joe Mayan was like gravitating uh, to what became Awaken the Master. So, oh, I'd want to write that. And, um, and then John McCurdy was like, okay, well, you guys, Joe Mayan, I want to definitely read the, the title track. And there's a few others that I'd like to write. And I said, Okay, you know what, go for it. You know, and we're always kind of open to that. Like if I said, no, you know what, there's another song I just fell into that I think I, I you know, I definitely want to tell, tell the lyrics to, uh, then it would, it's, it's not a problem, you know, if I said, so I think it basically comes down to that. Hey, I really want to write the lyrics to that song. I want to write the lyrics to that song, you know, and then we just take it from there. Mm. You know? You know, like I have a uh, solo album coming out in May. Yeah. I read all the lyrics, you know. So I, I wrote, you know, on lyrics, thought one uh, for for the entire album because just that to me is something that I want to do. When I'm doing my solo albums, I want to basically be, be the main lyricist because I've got a lot to say. Um, have you ever put your hand up in Dream Theater and said, look, I want to write the lyrics for the whole album? Nope. Never done that. Never done that, and I, uh, it's just because I don't think uh, that this is something that uh, I know that John did that with uh, the astonishing, and you know I 
to me, it made sense because of the kind of album that we were writing. Um, but with me, I think I think it, I always like to see that it can be more of a, a, a collective energy when it comes to the band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though that album was kind of like that was an exception to the rule. But I think I think if you have the lyricists in a band, I think that people should be able to contribute. Uh, I think for just one person. Now, is that something that I might do in the future? Quite possibly, it could be. But the way that I go about lyrics, too, which you, is that I, I would need some time. Because for me, when I write a lyric, it takes me, on average, about, I don't know, to say a week, two weeks to write a lyric something. There's been a couple of lyrics where I've written them in, in a couple of days. You know, like it's just like, um, like Disappear is a good example of that. I just basically wrote the whole song within the one day, the first day, and then the next day, and I just tweaked it a bit, and then it was done. Okay. Um, so, you know, it, but yeah, I think in a setting between theater, I think because you have three lyricists in the band, I think it should be kind of spread out. I really do. Um, okay. And as far as solo, I like to generally write the majority of, of the lyrics, if not all, if I could put my you know, self into that position. Yeah. Um, I'm not a musician, so this might be a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. Um, no such thing as a dumb question. <laughs> is it sometimes... Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't be that <laughs> Is it sometimes difficult for you to find the melody in Dream Theater's music to sing the lyrics as the music underneath it can be very complex. Do I find it difficult? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Like, I find it... Um, here's the things like that. Everybody, not everybody, but many, many people have asked that same question of me with you over the years. Okay. Okay, so how is it that you... First of all, how, how do you go about constructing a melody? Well, first of all, it's not only myself constructing melodies over these songs. It's John Petrucci. Uh, sometimes we have John, uh, or Jordan comes in. Um, and so there's the collective, there's three of us that are writing melodies for the songs. So it's a collective effort. Um, there are some songs, like, first of all, like when I wrote uh, a lot of The Alien, I wrote the melody, a lot of uh, Answering the Call. I wrote basically the whole melody. And then, you know, like as far as the other songs, it's it's kind of a collective and then a lot of them uh that John was penning, John Petrucci I should say, uh, he wrote the majority of them. So it, it also that's the other thing that that happens is that it can be collective, it can be individual. Um, and I think that's also what makes us who and what we are, is that, you know, it, it kind of inter... It, there's this interwoven connection with each and every song, uh, with each and every member. And uh, I think that's what creates creates our sound, makes us who we are. As far as the the time signatures in Dream Theater and how I go about singing over top of that, yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I played drums from the time I was five until I was 17. So I played drums for 12 years, and I was nothing like a drummer like my man, James. Trust me. You know, I was more like a, your straightforward, just like a groove, you know, very solid in my timing and all that stuff. And, and uh, so that's basically the kind of drummer. But what it allows me to do is that I can fall into any one of these time signatures and 
feel it naturally. There might be occasions where I'm like, holy shit, wait a minute. What's the count there? And all this shit is going on. And I can't. So what I find is that I'm not one of these guys that there's no way that I'm going to count to become a part of the song. I have to feel that naturally. I, it, it just has to flow out of me as if I'm, I'm singing four, four times. You know, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two. If, if it doesn't feel that way, then it's going to, to me, I think it's just going to become so damn mechanical and robotic that you, there's no way that you're going to be able to insert feeling and emotion in your body and, and be, you know, have these inflections that make sense, have these accents. And um, so, to me, it's got to be something felt so that it's natural. And fortunately for myself, you know, I remember when we were doing images in words and I was coming up to singing the song, Learning to Live, and the guys in the band, you know, like John Petrucci or Mike or whatever, they go, how are you feeling that? You know, because it's a bizarre timing. And I was like, I don't know. I just, I just do. And I think that's what creates that, that good cohesiveness and marriage. Mm. The vocal and, and the, the obscure and absurd uh, time signatures at times. Yeah. Now, now, James, you bring up feeling and emotion there. And I want to ask you, how often do you talk to the guys about their lyrics that they're giving you? So you want to get to know the meaning of it because you have to feel the lyrics to get, to get it. single time I do. So what I do is, yeah, I sit down with, if it's John the Church here, or if it's John my own, or whoever, you know, it's usually those two guys. Um, when it comes to another lyric, says myself, I, I would just say, okay, I took from your lyric what I took. This is what I got from it. This is what I'm thinking and how I'm connecting. But what are you saying? Give me your literal interpretation. And then they do. They sit down and go, okay, well, this is what I was getting at, blah, 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 blah. And so, but this is the way I go about it, Richie, is that I say, you know, even after I have a clear picture of exactly what it was they were trying to convey, I still need it to speak to me. So I still need it to have some kind of uh, uh, resonance with me that, that I can relate that there is something relatable to that lyric that maybe has happened in my life, or if it was to happen, how would I respond to it? And it always has to come down to the emotional spectrum of us, the human condition. Right? Yeah. And on the next solo album that you'll, that you'll eventually hear, a lot of the lyrics that I wrote on that album are dealing, it's, 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 well, the album's called A Beautiful Shade of Grey that I named it. And, and it's basically, that is the human condition. We're a beautiful species, but at the same time, there's a certain kind of underlying sadness that goes along with this, you know? And um, it's because of that that we experience the dynamics that we do, you know, in life, throughout life. So the same thing applies when I'm singing any lyric. I want to make it so that it emotionally steers or stirs, sorry, stirs up something within me that I can connect to and that I can sing with absolute uh, uh, genuine, you know, feel. Mm. So that, that's how I go about it. Yeah. Um, how, t how tough are you as a singer in the studio and do you need a lot of guidance from John? No. It's the exact opposite. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. 
put it this way. So what I'm doing, the last, um, this is the first time John and I worked together since Black Clouds and Silver Lines. Every other album I haven't been around any band member I've been with, The Engineer, and uh, which was Rich Chippy uh, that recorded, you know, a dramatic turn of events, a self-titled, the astonishing, uh, and uh, it was over time. Mm-hmm. Those albums, I was naming, and with Images and Words, I was with Doug Oberkirker, who was the engineer for Images and Words, and the other time, David Prater, who was our producer for Images and Words, would be in the control room. And uh, if the other guys were around, they weren't like, okay, you need to get stuff. There wasn't anything of that going on. If anything, more importantly, was uh, filming some of my vocal takes. And beyond that, nothing. And the same went true for Awake. It wasn't until we started getting into um, falling into infinity, and we were working with Kevin Shirley as our producer, that a couple of the other guys would be in the studio while I was singing. So, you know, whether it was Mike or, or John Petrucci. And, and then so for, I, I think for uh, falling into infinity, uh Seems to a certain degree, uh, and six degrees, and yeah, stuff like that. Like, they'd be around, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't, even though they were around. They're like, hey, please do try. Like it was. If I said, hey, you know what? What do you think of that? Is, is that? Do you think that I convey the right feel there or whatever? You know, because we're all together, right? So it's kind of cool. You know, this is what I was saying. Oh, okay, let me try that. But to answer your question, no, I, I really don't. Well, that being said, this was the first time, like I said, since Black Clouds and Civil Lines and John Petrucci and I have been in the studio while I'm recording vocals. And we had a great time, you know? We really uh-huh. did. And John was like, you know, I don't want to say anything, you know, like, I, I don't want to, like, uh, you know, feel as if I'm different. I said, no, you don't. I said, John, like, look at, look, let me just do my thing. And then if I think, you know, if I want to, I'll ask, I'll go, well, what do you think? Is that, is that what you were hearing? Is that what you were feeling? Or, and a lot of it is automatic, right? A lot of it is, it's a no-brainer. Oh, man, that's great. That's great. I mean, some of it would be, well, why don't you try this approach? Or maybe hit that a little bit harder. Or maybe hit that a little softer. You know, or, or maybe that inflection, maybe don't do that or do that, you know. So there's little conversations like that. And we had a great time doing it. But generally speaking, you know, I like to be uh, by myself because I am my worst, my worst critic when it comes to what I'm singing when I'm in the studio. Mm. Trust me, I'm like really hard on myself. And so, uh, you know, I don't let things squeak by. Okay. James, I'm, I'm sure over the years your voice has changed because as you get older, your vo- your voice is going to change. Um, mm-hmm. So which of the earlier songs in the band's back catalogue are harder for you to sing now, if any? Well, no, I mean, you know, the further back you go, then it's going to get a little harder, right? Because, you know, when I was, you know, doing Images and Words and Awake, you know, this was, that was previous to my, my vocal injury where I ruptured my chorus. I don't know if you're aware of that, but... Yeah. Whatever, I, I had, you know, the food poisoning in 1994, and uh, December 30th, I think, was the exact day that it And anything before that, I was able to sing, and it was, like, effortless for me to go on stage and sing, unless I was sick, you know, with a wicked cold or, or flu or whatever like that, like any other singer. 
so ever since the vocal injury, I've had to be very careful. And yes, I lost a bit of my range, and it was really unfortunate because he still was saying the stress, there would be nothing like like it was nothing. So then, you know, I lost a bit of my range, not too much, but enough to make a difference when I go back to sing, you know, a song like Take the Time or, you know, or, or Learning to Live or, or whatever, any of those songs like where I was singing Extremely Fat or High or, you know, like uh, Scarred or Innocence Faded or stuff like that. So there are songs in our discography that where I would go, oh, yeah, you know what, I'm going to have to change that up a bit. If we're going to do that song, I'm not going to be singing it like I did then. Mm. So I need to alter some of the melodies. And, you know, the best of the singers in the world are always doing that as well. They just, they alter it or they actually tune down or something like that, you know. So, you know, one of my favorite singers in, in, in the world, uh, where I saw it, like Steve Perry and, and Freddie Mercury, they've done that every time that I saw them live. And I was fortunate enough to see, you know, Freddie Mercury twice. And, and I noticed throughout the night he would alter some of the melodies where the stuff was like really a difficult section or passage. Vocally, he would alter it just slightly, but he still sounded amazing. And the same with Steve Perry, you know, where I go, wow, you know, okay, I understand that, and I respect that, because that's just being smart, that's yeah. just being vocal smart. So I, you know, so now, um, I just have to watch which song that we're doing, and um, depending on how I feel, like if I feel like, you know, like I could blow out the microphone in front of me, well then I'm going to sing the stuff. Maybe like I did, but you know, I also have to conserve the voice because we're doing a very long tour. We're out doing five, six shows some weeks, you know? mm. so and and they're long shows. So I have to be smart. I have to be. I have to, you know, know when to push it and when not. And mm. Get the actual notes from the album and not to do that because otherwise I'll burn myself out. Yeah. Final question, James, before I leave you go. Um, if you're to bring back performing a classic album from another band in its entirety, what album would you choose to do? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, um, I think something that would make sense um, analyze down Broadway, you know, mm-hmm. with, uh, with uh, Genesis. I think uh, the Wall would be freaking awesome to do, especially with a band like ours. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know, you know, if I could if I could do it just like I, if I uh, was back in 28 years old, I'd probably say, you know, let's do 21 12 by Rush. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, I mean, those are off my head. I mean, I'd love to do, uh, well, I think what would be really cool to do with like an album like Zephyr 1 or 2 would be freaking amazing, you know? Um, that would that would really kind of set the tone for mm. a lot of people. Um, but I don't know. Like, I don't know what else off the top of my head who I do. Okay, well, that, that'll that put you in the blues rock section. I'm going to bring it all the way That's to the right. beginning of the interview now. Um, definitely one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Our, I mean, Robert Plant was... was yeah, well, James, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and thanks for the music over the years. Okay, thank you, Richie. All right, and take care of yourself, and have a good rest of the day. Okay. Thank you. Okay, bye. All right, there you go. 
Why don't you uh, go out and pick up yourself a copy of the latest one from Dream Theater. And like I said, you want to do that, try it before you buy it. You could go up to uh, YouTube and either look up for the alien, uh, invisible monster, or awaken the master. You should find all three of those up there. And uh, check out the latest stuff from Dream Theater before you put your metal dollars down. And speaking of putting your metal dollars down, you know, definitely uh, Record Store Day is bearing down upon us. Always good stuff to be released there. So I definitely support all of your local indie record stores. And, I, I, you know, I got to say, I've been on a vinyl buying binge lately. Lots of cool stuff available out there. Latest two I got in were a couple of Motorhead ones. The new one, Everything Louder Forever. Great one there. Just And that's kind of unique packaging as well, where it's a giant fold-out of Murder One. And put it all together, it holds all four discs. So good stuff there for that one. And I also picked up at the same time the uh, special, very limited edition, slime green or smoked green version of Overnight Sensation. But yeah, I will say that uh, my pile of new vinyl is getting larger, and I know I've got a bunch of stuff on the pipeline as well. Like I said, I've been on a vinyl buying binge, and it's nice to be able to buy that again. And it's even nice to go back to you know some of these record stores now and just do that thing of flipping through the bin and seeing what's there. And that was always a cool feeling for me. So it's good to be doing that one again. And fortunately for me, I'm in a good position where uh, my girlfriend likes actually doing it too. And even when I'm not with her, I might get a text and go, hey, do we have this one yet? And she's picked out something that's really cool. So she snagged a couple of cool things as well. I think the last two things she snagged were uh, an ACDC Through the Mists of Time picture disc and also a colored vinyl version of Rockarola by The Priest. So good stuff. But again, like I said, with uh, Record Store Day coming upon us, definitely support your local indie record stores. And there's always some great limited releases out there for that. So I think next week, if everything is uh, just going in a row and I don't get so busy I can't make a show, I think that next week we'll be kicking into a very long discussion that Richie had with Craig Goldie. And a large focus of the talk with Craig will be on the Resurrection Kings album from this year called Sky Gazer. But also, when you got Craig on the line, then uh, you definitely want to talk to him about, of course, Ronnie. So we do get into a lot of Ronnie discussion in there as well, as well as some other bits and pieces of Craig Goldie history. And we've had Craig on the show before, um, so you could go back to episode 400, where we had Craig on with us, as we did a Focus on Dio episode with him as well as author James Curl. And I feel like we've had him on for something else as well, but I just can't figure out what it is. And, you know, when you're talking well over 500 episodes, it's easy to forget. But, yeah, definitely we had him on for episode 400 with our Focus on Dio special. So I think that is probably what we're going to be running next week. But in the meantime, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. Be safe out there. And as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant.
You're still here? It's over. Go home.